Our scripture reading today comes from the first 18 verses of the book of Ruth. It is one of the most beautiful chapters and stories in the Bible and contains some of its most beautiful words. Hear now the word of God. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard that in the country, in the country of Moab, that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or, or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God, where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. 
when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. God of all of creation, you've placed us under the necessity of decision in every concrete situation in life, here and now. As we unfold the story of one person who made a concrete decision in the here and now, lead us to consider decisions we have made or will make, and to make such decisions leaning on the grace you have given us in Jesus Christ and on the wisdom you have provided through the Scriptures. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So in this sermon series on ordinary but somewhat obscure people in the Bible, we seem to start each week with something about the name of the person as it appears on the church sign at Monticello and Cameron Mills. One staff member this week, having seen on the sign O-R-P-A-H, texted, I hope people don't read O-P-R-A-H or we might be overrun with visitors. So raise your hand if you came today expecting to hear from Oprah Winfrey. Glad you came for other reasons. It is true, as many of us doubtless know, that Oprah was named for Orpah, the sister-in-law of Ruth, two of the three biblical characters about whom we've just read. If we were to take a poll of the most admired women in the Bible, Ruth would undoubtedly appear near the top, just as Oprah is often deemed one of the most admired women in the world. Orpah would register nowhere near even single digits in either poll if for no other reason than lack of name recognition. One of my few claims to fame is that it was from an older woman carrying a covered dish into the fellowship hall of the Bethel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, that I learned the origin of Oprah's name. I had been invited to speak at that congregation's annual Lincoln Douglas Allen fundraising dinner, and when I arrived and met the woman carrying the casserole, it somehow came up that she was Oprah Winfrey's aunt. When I asked if Oprah was related to the Orpah from the Bible, she smiled and said, yes, the family wanted to name her after a character in the Bible, but they weren't sure how to spell it. It's correct on her birth certificate, but no one could pronounce Orpah. So they just started calling the baby Oprah, and she's gone by that ever since. The woman then set her casserole dish on one of those serving tables in every fellowship hall in America. She took her seat near the kitchen of the church in which she had worshipped for decades 
under portraits of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and Reverend Richard Allen, the founder of the AME denomination. I have no doubt that Oprah Winfrey has made Orpa better known than she would have otherwise been. Orpa appears only in the book of Ruth, and while she is not, while she is named, which is not always a guarantee for women in scripture, she appears in only the first chapter and doesn't have a speaking part. Orpah and Ruth are Moabites, members of one of the smaller nations that are historically at odds with the Israelites. It is a nation that originated, along with Ammon, from the illicit union of Lot with each of his two daughters after the three of them escaped the destruction of Sodom in which Lot's wife, their mother, had been turned into a pillar of salt for looking back. Lot's daughters likely assumed that they and their father were the only survivors left on earth, and the daughters plotted to become pregnant by their father so that the human race would continue. But this left the Moabites with a less than stellar reputation among religious people across the centuries. In our story, Orpah and Ruth have both married Israelite brothers, Malon and Chilion, who had come to Moab with their parents, Naomi and Elimelech, because famine had struck the nation of Israel. In time, Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion all die in Moab, leaving Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth as childless widows. Orpah and Ruth being natives to Moab and Naomi being a foreigner. Naomi receives word that the Lord has had consideration on the people of Israel and given them food, so she sets out to return to her native land, widowed, childless, and bereft, but choosing to grieve at home rather than in hostile surroundings. Orpah and Ruth set out with her. Naomi pleads with them to remain in their home country. Do I have sons in my womb who can become your husbands, she says. Naomi kisses Orpah and Ruth, a solemn act that is done in Israel only upon the anointing of a king after a long separation or upon a parting. Both Orpah and Ruth weep. They say to Naomi, No, we will return with your people. Turn back, my daughters, Naomi says, Turn back. Orpah and Ruth weep again. It is Orpah who breaks the pattern. She obeys her mother-in-law, Naomi, and kisses her while Ruth clings to Naomi. At this point, Orpah presumably turns, walks away, wiping tears from her eyes, burying her head 
in her face. Ruth then takes center stage in the story. She speaks to Naomi some of the most eloquent words to be found in Scripture or in all of literature. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. By the time the four chapters of this book that bears her name draws to a close, Ruth has accompanied Naomi back to Bethlehem, converted to Judaism, supported the two of them, taken initiative to marry and produce an heir through Boaz, a near kinsman of her late husband, presented the child to Naomi and to the women of Bethlehem and become remembered as the grandmother of King David and as an ancestor to Christ. Ruth becomes one of four women mentioned in Matthew's genealogy as paving the way for Mary, the mother of Jesus. Orpah, on the other hand, disappears from the narrative and disappears from historical memory until the family of an infant girl born in poverty in Kosciuszko, Mississippi in 1954 chose her name for the child who would grow up to become one of the most admired and recognized women in America. Now, as Jewish scholars over the centuries have speculated about the biblical Orpah, some of their admiration for Ruth has led them to negative and even demeaning assessments about Orpah. Based on one translation of her name, Orpah has been condemned as the one who turned her back on her mother-in-law. Based on the scandalous origins of her people, Orpah has sometimes been depicted as returning to the wanton ways of the Moabites. As a result of her own presumed scandalous ways, Orpah has even been thought by some to have given birth to Goliath, the giant who would seek to kill David, and that she herself was later killed by one of David's warriors. All of these are legends that grew up about Orpah outside of the Scripture. But these associations perhaps reveal something about a human tendency that remains with us today. That when two biblical characters appear side by side, we must assume that one is a good example and the other not. That one is to be followed and emulated, the other to be rejected and avoided. These associations may also reveal a tendency since the fall of Adam and Eve to see sexual inappropriateness behind the actions of many women 
who don't fit the expected mold of monastics, heroines, or saints. But our interpretations of Orpah need not be critical or denigrating. If we read the story almost literally, just plainly and simply as it appears, we soon notice that in presenting both Orpah and Ruth, the narrator describes the decision that each makes in light of the same tragedy without prescribing either decision as being universal or absolute. The narrator holds up the life Ruth led following her choice as being one that leads to blessing. But the narrator does not explicitly criticize Orpah for the equally difficult choice that she makes. In this regard, the story reminds us that even as Ruth's choice to cling to Naomi is indeed as heroic and beautiful as it is presented, Orpah's choice to remain at home is not necessarily misguided or wrong. Orpah's story can also remind us that as outsiders we are rarely equipped to know and therefore often ill-advised to judge whether the choices people make are wise, heroic, and faithful to God or whether they are frivolous, cowardly, self-focused. Judge not that ye be not judged, the descendant of Ruth would later say. Perhaps he had the response to Orpah in mind. My wife Maggie was raised in El Paso and has been away from its vast skies since she graduated from high school over 40 years ago, and I'd best not specify the exact number. Even though she has no remaining family in El Paso, and even though the Presbyterian church that her minister father founded and in which her own Christian faith was formed was closed a few years ago, she would go back. She would go back home. She would go back to El Paso in an instant. The late Tom Wolfe was famous for saying, you can't go home again, and I know you can't go home again. I know you can't go home again. Yet in this larger story, told so beautifully in the book of Ruth, Naomi goes home again and finds blessing. Ruth leaves home and finds blessing. And I'm led to ask, is it possible that Orpah remains at home and finds blessing? Rabbi Rachel Berenblatt has written a poem entitled The One Who Turned Back, Orpah, 
In the poem, she directly addresses, speaks to Orpah, asking her a series of questions concerning why Orpah remained in Moab and what she did or experienced in her native land. Baron Blatt collects all of the negative myths and legends that grew up around Orpah over the centuries, including those about her being promiscuous, abused, in pain. But Baron Blatt doesn't necessarily accept such speculation about Orpah as being true. Speaking to Orpah, she writes, Maybe you envisioned your husband's grave choked with weeds. Did you bathe your aging parents and die a quiet spinster comforted by the scent of the wild rosemary outside your childhood home. Baron Blatt seems to conclude that what Orpah finds in remaining at home is the quiet dignity of memory, intimacy, solitude, and nature. Remembering the husband who came into her land from another country, married her, and then passed away much too early. Caring for her parents in the most intimate ways as they had cared for her when she was a child. Living her remaining years in solitude and dying with the scent of wild rosemary wafting through the open window in the bedroom of her childhood home. Is there good news in returning home? Maybe good news needs to be more than memory and intimacy and solitude and nature. Maybe that's enough. Maybe that's not enough for most of us. But maybe it is enough. Orpah doesn't really tell us. And neither can I. But the fact that Orpah remains at home and was not, contrary to legend, denigrated by the narrator of the book of Ruth for her choice, the fact that the narrator includes her alongside the more dramatically heroic and blessed stories of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, leads me to think, that in the providence of God, some of us can return home or remain at home and just possibly find blessing. Amen.